it really, really, I think, be important in our house is that when we clap the band, let's do that really well. Let's inspire them. They're here early working. But when we clap Jesus, he's the king of kings. He's the champion of champions. He's the best. He's a, there should be a difference, I reckon. I mean, we've got terrific musicians. But when we clap Jesus, I think there should be a real difference. Because otherwise, my, my fear is this. My fear is, is that you're clapping the church, you're clapping the leadership, you're, you're clapping the surrounds or whatever. You're not actually engaged with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We try to leave the flesh and enter in through the veil and to have relationship with our God face to face, spirit to spirit. And some of us struggle to get there, some of it's by faith, but that's the goal is that we pray every week passionately with tears at times of fasting that you will meet with God today. That's everything is done for you to have that experience today. For you somewhere to know you just haven't come to church, but you found the God in the church who gave his life for the church. So that's our goal. But thank you for gathering to God and gathering to us today. We've been uh, doing this series on uh, spiritual warfare. Some people are finding it's been a blessing to them. Is, is anybody finding it's good? Yeah. Thanks, Helen. Yeah, a couple of people are finding it's good. So if you're uh, visiting with us for the very first time today, you're jumping midweek into a, sort of like a fairly in-depth seminar, it's teaching series on the armour of God. So here we go. The guys have been really terrific in putting that up. So this week, just a, a brief recap, because I'm going to try and finish a bit earlier this morning. Next slide, thank you. Uh, we're, we're just jumping. I think the message version of Ephesians 6, 12 is useful. He says that this spiritual warfare is no afternoon aleth... I'll put my teeth back in, sorry. Athletic. Contest. Uh, there's something about the word athletic that just doesn't fit me. <laughs> Thank you, Stixie. <laughs> this is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. This morning my alarm went off at 7am. And it's good that Cadell Evans is going to be the first Australian to ride the yellow jersey. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie! Oh, you're pretty good on that. You're all very good patriots. But the second piece of news was the terrible thing that's happened in Oslo in Sweden. In Norway, sorry. Where some guy, Anders Bechevik, has seems to have blown up the government buildings and has gone to an island and shot about 85 young people to death. And I say, dear God, Dear God, such evil in the world. You know, if that doesn't... I mean, today we're all Norwegians. We just pray, Heavenly Father, in the midst of this incredibly dark, tragic period, that, Lord, you'd work your grace and your peace in an amazing way. Comfort the families, Lord. Let them make some sort of a sense out of it. Dear God, use all of your power to bring out your life and your truth in this terrible circumstance, in Jesus' name. But, you know, this is not, again, guys, people die as a result of not having 
God's kingdom on earth now, fully revealed. Babies are aborted. Young children will starve to death. People will die of AIDS. It's a life and death conflict. And I just wonder sometimes if we would just have an understanding of the immense position that we're in. And I'm praying that God will really help us today get a revelation because what happened all those years ago when Adam and Eve were commissioned by God in the garden to run the earth, guess what? Adam and Eve are still running the earth. God gave rulership to human beings all those years ago. And he hasn't taken that back. He still lets you and I rule the earth. But what happened is the enemy came in and got us to turn our back upon God and to disconnect from his life and his relationship and his truth. And we says, God, we want to do it our own way. We're going to be wise in our own eyes. This fruit looks good for us. We're going to use our own knowledge. We're going to do life ourselves. Thank you. We want to know good and evil. Well, guess what? Now we know good and evil. And that's the problem. And then God is calling people through the cross, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, back to rulership and dominion, to exercise life and control over the universe. And as we pray, as we seek God, I just wonder what disasters we've prevented in our own neighborhood today. You don't hear what I'm saying. As the church stands up and bees the church, I believe that we are salt and we are light. The salter we are, the brighter we are, the less tragedy we have in Joel Street Mall. The less disaster we have in our schools, the less family breakdown that we have. As the church rises up and bees the church and walks in the truth of God, I believe that affects our society. I believe that affects our community. I believe it matters. When a people of God seek God with all of their face, with all of their face, sorry, that can work too, with all of their heart, and turn from their wicked ways, God said that hear from heaven and heal their land. If my people who are called by my name will rise up and do what we've called to do, I believe it affects what happens in Northbridge. I believe it affects what happens in our parliaments. I believe it makes the difference. God has chosen to limit His power. He has all power, but He chooses to limit His power through the free will cooperation of believers. Well, I wish you could get that. He has chosen the God of the universe who could split the atom in a second, designed it, has chosen to limit all of his power and truth through the limited people known as Christians and believers. So that's for free. That's not in the... Oh, if I get to... I'm in trouble. Stay with your notes, Mike. It makes a difference. This is no afternoon. This is life and death, guys. This is your children. This is your grandchildren. This is a person across the road. 
How do you stop drugs? How do you stop abortion? How do you stop rape? How do you stop violence and stuff? Well, you be the church. You stand up, rise up as the church, and that starts to change. Oh, Jesus. Help me. Okay, next slide. So we've been going through this series. So it's be strong. And in His. Be strong. And in His. Unlimited power expressed through a limited life. Guess what? I am limited. I should wear a permanent L plate. I am limited, definitely. I have restrictions on my time, on my energy, on my intelligence. Go slow. On my singing, on my piano ability, I have a big L plate. But God has chosen to express his unlimited ability through me. Through you. God and you make a winning majority. Turn to your neighbor and says, you're a winner because you've got God on your side. So be strong. Be strong. Be strong. Fantastic. Next slide. We looked at the belt of truth and how that speaks of core truth. This is not a superstitious Christian thing where we actually physically... You've got to put truth in there, the written word of God. If it's not in the core of your being, you cannot live in victory in your life. Can I say, if you do not live in truth, you cannot live in victory. I know that's ugly. Because we would love to say, just buy the tape series, come forward and we'll pray for you. But if you don't live in truth, you can't live in victory. You know, could I, could I expect God to bless me if I do not tithe and give my offerings? Can I really expect God to see that I get promotions and stuff? I can expect it, but am I going to get it? No. You actually have to live truth to be in victory. You know, if I, um, if I abuse my body by... Um, well, actually, I did last night. I, um, my... Um, I like hot things. Anybody like hot food, hot chilies? And uh, I, I was waiting at Team Challenge this weekend, this week doing some staff training down there. And one of the guys has made his own chili plant. And he gave me this little bottle of stuff. And he says, Mike, this is the hottest chili you've ever tasted in your life. Well, I think, hey, I'm tough. I can handle that sort of stuff. So. <laughs> Monique made me a bit of a spaghetti last night and it just lacked a certain something. So I thought, ha-ha, chili! <laughs> no. So I whipped this thing off and I gave it a fairly liberal thing and uh, ate it. And it, this had an afterburner kick that you wouldn't believe. It was worse than paint strip, I tell you. It was... I, I abused my body last night, so... It was, it was hot, so... But if I abuse my body, you know, eat, eat donuts as my permanent food, can I come to God and expect him to heal me of emerging diabetes? No, you have to live in truth to live in victory. You know, if the Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength, what, what, what that means is if I spend time, do you know if you spend time with people you become a bit like them? Or you're certainly influenced by them. 
you know, if you spend time with people that are negative and critical and always down and, you know, you know, it's so dark, let's turn the lights off because it's just so horrible in here sort of thing, as negative battery terminals, sorry, Nathan, uh, as negative battery terminals, um, who knows, you don't go out of those places thinking, oh, fantastic and stuff. But if you spend time with God, you will come out full of joy because it's the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is your... But you have to live in... Tr- oh, oh, I have no chance. Sorry. Stop. Stop. Next one. We looked at the belt of truth. We looked at the arm of righteousness. That, that, that's the protection from condemnation and conviction that's you know, of the devil. There's a conviction of the Holy Spirit that leads to change. And that says, this is what you've done. This is what you need to do to fix it. Whereas condemnation says, it's just you. You're rotten. You're horrible. I'm going to kill you. You know, you little worm. That's condemnation. That's the devil. We looked at that one. Next one. Thanks. Uh, the action shoes. Christianity needs to be mobilized. It's a noun. No, it's not. It's a verb. It's a doing thing. It's not a mental mindset that's static. It's meant to have action on your life. And if you can't get the how complicated is, the simple answer is walk across the room and just say hello to someone in Jesus' name. Okay? Action shoes. Then that's the passive faith. Then we're asked to, after you move from the passive place of the soldier, that's his normal uniform, then you've got to then take up the actual warfare weapons when you move into the active mode. There's now the problem. There's now the attack. When the attack's coming, you've got to take up the shield of faith because when you do that you can quench some of the fiery darts all of the fiery darts you will have power over all the attacks of the enemy no one has to lose no one has to lose God has given you the power and the ability to win no one loses hallelujah but without the shield you're going to be there so in addition take up that and then we're looking at this one here thank you the helmet of salvation and it says then take up the helmet of salvation. Again, here Paul's just changing the language a little bit. Next slide. I'm going to go as fast as I can. So he's actually referencing the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, particularly verse 17. So here he's moved away from looking at the Roman soldier and he's looking at the warrior king, Yahweh, Jehovah, who takes up his helmet of salvation. So he's using that telescope to look at the Jehovah God standing and rising in his power to come and set us free, to deliver us, to bring us victory. That's what he's looking at. Fantastic, awesome stuff. Next slide. Okay. Now, the helmet of salvation is actually talking about protecting, of course, this thing on your head. Turn to your name and say, you have a very attractive one too. (laughs) This thing that we call the brain box, the mind and stuff like this. So you have to, and it's a command. The Greek tense here, here is a command. So it says, take up the shield of faith, put on the belt of truth, you know, put on the gospel shoes, and then it says, commanded, take. There's no option on this one. Take up the helmet of salvation. You have to do this. And what he's talking about here is protecting your mind and your thought life, particularly with a reference to present salvation. It's not the promise of that one day far away in a distant land, on the by and by on a distant shore, God's going to come and help me. It's actually asking you to understand that you are saved now. 
you are rescued now. You are redeemed now. So Proverbs 23 verse 7 says that as a man or as a woman thinks in their heart, so they are. The word think there is the same word built upon the word for gate. So if you've got a gateway in your head that what you let into your mind will affect you. True. If I could take any of you right now, take Nathan right here, and if I was to send him away to a little cabin somewhere and uh, cut off the news from him, cut off his iPad, his, all that sort of information, and every day I sent him a piece of information. Nathan, you've just won lotto. When you come back, you're going to have a million dollars in the bank. Nathan, when you come back, we've got the drop-dead gorgeous girl that God's got for you. You know, when you come back, you know, you're actually going to find that not only can you play guitar very well, but you'll be able to play any instrument you want just by picking it up and stuff. If we were to able to control the information that Nathan was getting, who thinks he'd be feeling pretty good by the time he came out again? Absolutely. If you can, can control your mind, you can control your life. And the Bible said very clearly many years ago, as a man thinks, so he shall be. Now, the Bible tells us that, there, uh, that we can transform ourselves by the renewing of our mind. Next slide. Thank you. But if you're going for a walk through the wheat paddock, the first time you walk through that wheat paddock and you look around you, you may see your footsteps, a couple of bit of crushed bits. If you walk through that wheat paddock again, you will find that, it's a little bit more of a pathway. If you do that over and over again, eventually that will become a real path. If you do it long enough, you'll actually get a bit of a ditch in there. If you've ever driven on a country road, you will know that on some of those real uh, farmer's tracks that the ditches of where the cars have been have actually hollowed out two sorts of ruts. You can literally take your hands off the steering wheel and the car will drive itself. Anybody done that? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's true. It, it actually works. Because it's gone down there so often, that is exactly where it will go. You, Your thought life is exactly the same process. When you think of a thought, it will tend to find the pathway that's been built in your mind. And as you hear, as you get that, it will get deeper and deeper and deeper. So if I was to mention, say, the word mother-in-law, you instantly have pathways. <laughs> if I was to mention the word father, you will instantly have pathways. If I was to mention to you the word sex, it would instantly have pathways for you. Some of you are looking very interested now. Okay. And they have been developed mainly through life's experiences and history. Now, what the Bible says is that you can transform yourself by changing that. So this is how it works. Every time you think a thought, you're actually laying down that first step through the wheat. But if you think it again, it gets a bit deeper. And if you think it again, it gets a bit deeper. And if you think it again, it'll get deeper and deeper and deeper. And then, if you do something else, if you add, to it. You add some deep feeling to that thought. You add some desire to that thought. You will actually change the way that you think. 
The Bible told us how to do it years ago. Science has just caught up. that This is the underlying biology of it. So if, for example, I came from a background myself with a great deal of rejection, my father uh, ended up having a child before he was ready. He was only still in teacher's training college. I was born. It wasn't really part of the plan. I think, you know, it was... Uh, a whirlwind romance, and I came along. And so when my mother was uh, going into labor, she woke up my dad and said, it's time for me to go to hospital. And he said, well, you know where the hospital is, you can walk. And so my mother walked to the hospital to give birth to me. I can remember, I was there at the time. <laughs> when I came home from the hospital... Um, apparently there, there was, I don't know if it was poverty or whatever, but I was placed in the top drawer of the chest of drawers there. That was my cot. And apparently I cried a bit. I still haven't got over it. And so my father's response said, would you take that beep, beep out of here? I'm trying to sleep. So that was how we began life. I'm sure my father loved me, but I cannot remember him ever using those words or ever giving me a hug or a cuddle. I cannot remember that in my life. And then I was set up with this d- dynamic that my father was a school teacher. And for a lot of my growing up, he was the school teacher of the school that I attended. For much of it, he was my teacher and my principal and my father. And I'm sitting in the room in a little classroom with about 10 kids in the wheat belt. Who knows that could set up some issues for you? So if I got in trouble at school, Fiona, I got trouble at home as well. And I tried to please my father. I remember on one occasion working incredibly hard on a piece of work. I remember this as clear as I can to this day. And when he gave me back my mark, I felt that I got a very low mark for the effort. And my, when I went and challenged my dad about it, he says, look, you're my son. I can't give you a higher mark because I'll be seen to be favouring you. Maybe the work wasn't that, but I know I can remember to that day. So at 14 years of age, when I'm now lifting weights and becoming a rebel, I said to my dad, if you want to be the boss, let's sort it out now. And I left home. So rejection is a bit of an issue for me. Over the next two, three years, I... I was thrown out of every home and every place that I went to. Most street kids don't live on the streets a lot, but they go to a friend's house or else, then they finish the refrigerator there, then they go to the next refrigerator and the next refrigerator and stuff. It's how it works. So yes, I slept under cars, under bridges, I worked under... So rejection's a bit of an issue for me. Is my Twitch still showing, Dr. Vell? <laughs> rejection's a bit of an issue. So it was a big deal for me. So when someone comes along, and then they might just do... I had to do... So that's, that's the rut of my thinking. And so what was important for me was to change my thinking. And so for me, I began to say things like, I am accepted in the Beloved. I am accepted by Christ. And every time I said that, I laid down a pathway of change in my life. And I kept on saying and kept on saying it. And today, I believe I am accepted by God. I don't have to live with rejection 
But I did what the Bible said. I did. I say do. I did what the Bible said, which was I helped build a new way of thinking. I allowed the transformational process of faith in God's word to change me. You've got to choose what you want to believe. Next slide. Thank you. Oh, there you go. There goes the foot. Okay. If you want to change your life, what do you have to do? It's actually not that hard, is it? If you want to change your life, change your thinking. And there's something that has wonderful thoughts. This doesn't look like a Bible, but it's an electronic Bible. There's a wonderful book called The Bible that if you allow those thoughts to become dominant in your thinking, it will change your life. It even works... I'm going to take a real risk. It even works when you're an idiot. (laughs) I have a friend who got saved. Bless him. And one of his first things he did was to change his name to Sharky for Jesus. (laughs) By Depot. He went up there and he changed his name Sharky for Jesus. And uh, it was not what you call, you know, the brightest man that I've ever met. But he had an enthusiasm for God. And, you know, in some ways, he just locked into childlike faith. Childlike faith. So he went to a particular Bible college. He's getting towards the end of the Bible college. People say, what are you going to do at the end of the college? And he says, well, I believe God's going to use me. In fact, I think he's going to send me to America to work with Kenneth Hagin. Well, he told enough people that, that people gave him money. He got on a plane and he went to Kenneth Hagin. So he goes to a conference where Kenneth Hagin's preaching and uh, he tells people, I'm called by God, I've studied, I really got to believe there's a call of God upon my life and he wants me to work with Kenneth Hagin. I've come all the way from Australia to work with Kenneth Hagin. So one of the stewards says, well, if that's the case, you better come sit down in the front row. Sat front row. <laughs> Kenneth Hagen, he must be someone important because he's in the front row. Talks to the person next to him, says, oh, what are you doing here? He says, I've come all the way from Australia to work with Kenneth Hagen. Inside, he says, well, you've got anywhere to stay? He says, no, I haven't worked out a hotel or a motel or anything like that right now. He says, well, you better come stay with me. This guy's got no money, no background, no credibility. But he's now staying. Then he says, well, I want to catch up Kenneth at the next conference. Uh, you know where that is? He says, yeah, what it is. Well, I don't know how to get there. Because he's Australian. He says, well, we'll put you on the greyhound. You got no money? Cause, yeah, they thought they hadn't just, he hadn't just changed his money. So they paid for ticket. Anyway, make a long story. Sharky for Jesus ended up being on star for Kenneth Hagen. It is actually amazing what a positive attitude will do. You know, let, let me give you just one little paradigm shifter for you right now. How would it affect the way that you, be, you behaved if every person you met walking down the street, you had a revelation that all their sins were forgiven and God has made a way back for them to come home? That they are not beyond the grace of God they're actually fully embraced by the sacrifice of Jesus. 
that they are forgiven because Jesus takes away all the sins of the world. All they have to do is embrace that relationship. Wouldn't that change the way that you saw people? Just that one thing. Okay, so to change your life, what do you have to do? Change, oh, blah, blah, blah. Can I put my selection back on? If you want to change your life, what do you do? Change your mind, change your thinking. Okay, next one. This is what the hell salvation is about. The Greek is take up, it's a command. Who is controlling your thoughts, my brother? Who is controlling your thoughts, my sister? Is it the TV? Is it Facebook? Is it your passions? Or is it the Word of God? What's controlling your thoughts? Your soul? with all of its feelings and problems and incrimination? Or is it the Spirit of God? Who is controlling your mind? If you want to win spiritual warfare, the Bible says that we are to take up the helmet of salvation and protect what goes into my brain. Amen. You know, it's interesting that Jesus was crucified between two thieves on a place called the place of the skull, Golgotha. Golgotha, the place of the skull, the greatest cosmic warfare that ever took place, took place at the skull. And all of life today, it's still a battle here. I'm going to take a risk because I could lose some of you here. I could lose you. If God was to fully reveal himself now in his manifested form, you would all kneel and confess that Jesus is Lord. You would have no choice. Even if you are not saved, you would have no choice. If he was to appear in all of his glory right now, every one of us would say, oh my God, holy, holy, it's him. It is him. And we would be absolutely awestruck. God would bring enough coercion by his simple brilliance and beauty and grace, and peace. In the same way, if I was to put a million pile of a million dollars here right now and say, would you like it? I think most of you will say, I want it. In the same way, you cannot reject God if you truly see him. So at one limit, God is restricted in what he can show you because if he shows his real self, you will do what Paul did on the road to Damascus. Fall down off his horse, be blinded by the light and say, Lord, and he will change you. God does not want to manipulate you into the kingdom. He wants you to choose freely. And if he shows all of his beauty, all of his wonder, then you no longer have a free choice. You simply say yes to him. So he cannot use his person and his love to bring you into the kingdom. Now, God could also appear before anybody today and bring a sword of judgment and of terror, the fear of the Lord. And he could immediately gain our compliance because of his power. He could force us into a kingdom. He has the power to do that. But he chooses not to do it through power and he chooses not to do it through the revelation of love. He chooses to try and bring you into this wonderful kingdom through truth, through you agreeing with God on things by faith. Because he shows you his power, he takes away your choice. 
if he shows you his perfect love in all of us, he takes away your choice. He wants you to make a decision based on what you believe is true. And then as you walk in the truth, you will discover his power and you will discover his love. So I hope I didn't leave, leave you, lose you on that one. But uh, Next slide, thank you. So take up the helm of salvation is really connected to this idea of your present location and identity. It's the helmet of salvation. What is Paul actually asking you to put on your mind? He's wanting you to put into your thinking that I'm saved, that I'm rescued, that I have the power, the mighty power of God, that I'm operating out of that position. You remember who we are leads to the walking, that leads to the battle. He's actually referring to back to Ephesians chapter 1 where he says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would grasp his incredibly great power towards you. The same power that lifted Jesus from the dead and exalted him to the right hand of the Father, far above all dominion, all power, all principalities, everything that can be named in earth and on the earth, that he could put the church there and there rule as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then chapter 2 slips in and we almost miss it because of the chapter division. It says, such were you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And we're at that stage, children of his anger, being manipulated by the prince in the air, the prince in the atmosphere. This is all this spiritual warfare. It says you used to be here under the power, under the influence, being manipulated by evil forces. But what he's saying is, but God, rich in his mercy has lifted you up and seated you in Christ in the heavenly places and you have been saved by grace. You have been saved. You have been saved. And that salvation involves power that lifts you, not from where you are here, Ephesians, but he's lifted you to there. He's lifted you above the circumstance. He's lifted you above poverty. He's lifted you above sickness. He's lifted you above demons. He's lifted you above the warfare. You're seated in the control room of the King of Kings and the Lord of all, and He's on our side. We rule and reign with Him. And look, if that doesn't excite you, I'm sorry. It's just what the Bible teaches. I'm doing the best I can to let you know that's what Paul said when we put on the helmet of salvation. That's what he's talking about. Understanding where you are now. You're not here in Champion Lakes going home to problems and warfare and defeat. You are actually seated with Christ in the heavenly places and born to win, destined to succeed in all that God brings your way. That's who are you? Hey, if I'm just Mike, the troubled kid left at 14 with rejection and hang-ups and alcoholism and prostitution, all the stuff I got in, then that will define who I am. But if I am redeemed, 
if I am rescued, if I have his enabling, his grace, where am I? I'm actually with Jesus, working with him. That's a helmet of salvation that will stop all those negative thoughts, all those downers. Who do you think you are? You'll never amount to anything. You're a low little worm. You know, you can't, you're so low you can't even crawl under the belly of a snake. Where are you? So, next slide. Spiritual warfare, call of duty. Now, I am going to pray that I'm going to show a little video. It's, it's about just under two minutes long. I'm hoping you get the message. I'm really praying that the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart in this little video. Going to get the musicians up, and then we're just going to wait upon God. Thanks. Buried soldiers, thanks. I went looking for a jumping church, but discovered a mouth. And there I heard a voice telling me of a buried army. Waiting to rise up again. To shed our burden of oppression. Another world in our world. The oppressive burden lingers. But voice still whispers. Getting stronger each time. Becoming clearer than the bell that once rang the summons to God. A voice in the wilderness crying out. The bell no longer rings. But the old man still talks of buried soldiers. Waiting. Waiting. Ezekiel talks about the Son of Man being coming to a high place and being shown a valley full of dried bones. The Spirit of the Lord comes and says to Ezekiel, Can these bones live? And uh, very smartly replies, Lord, only you know. He says, Son of Man, rise up and speak to the winds. Speak to the north and the west and the south and the east and prophesy. And the Spirit of God came and entered into the bones. The 
phones got connected and the seniors came over. The Bible says there stood up an exceedingly great army. Friends, God wants to position his church away from being consumers and defeated, going from Sunday to Sunday, worried about their little things and their little toys and their little idols. And he wants to awaken a great army, an army that will actually change our world. And God's waiting. And it doesn't, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have your life together. you just got to believe it. Yeah, you just have to embrace what God's saying. Let's just stand. We're just going to take a few minutes to wait upon God and see what God wants to do. And I'm going to encourage you, please engage. Don't disconnect. We, we have time. I've deliberately preached a little bit shorter today. Yeah. Mm-hmm.